If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. The apostle Paul begins by identifying himself as an apostle. Apostle was one that was specially called to be an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Uh, and he said, I'm an apostle by the will of God. The apostle Paul wasn't an apostle because he wanted to be an apostle. He was not an apostle because his mama or his daddy wanted him to be an apostle. He was not even an apostle because a local congregation wanted him to be an apostle. But he was an apostle by the will of God. It's the same way in the gospel ministry. The calling is a little different. We don't have apostles today. Apostles were to be eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Uh, and we don't have anybody uh, that's uh, an apostle today. But we do have ministers of the gospel. And that's also by the will of God. It's not by mama's will, it's not by daddy's will, or grandmom or granddaddy's will. It's not even by the will of a local church, but it's by the will of God. And when a church recognizes a gift to either liberate or a church recognizes a gift to ordain somebody in the gospel minister, it's not the church making a decision about their will, but it's the church acknowledging we see evidences that this is the will of God. We don't want any ministers that have a uh, local call. We want ministers that have a long-distance call. And that's from heaven and a mortal glory. And the Lord is able uh, to call ministers uh, from the walks of life to labor in his vineyard. And what a blessing that is. When we see uh, ministers being called, it reminds us. Uh, that the Lord is not finished with his church, but that the Lord uh, continues to work. Right after the Lord descended, ascended into heaven, you might would have thought the churches would have been in great despondency as those disciples see the Lord that they had walked so closely with along the hills of Galilee and had seen the great miracles that he did and got to spend all that time with him personally. John would write it in 1 John 1, our hands have handled of the word of life. And then they see him ascend up into heaven. And they know that in that particular way that they walked with him along the hills of Galilee uh, would not be anymore. But the Lord was still with them. Yes, he had ascended up into heaven, but we'll later see in the book of Acts, it said, the Lord working with them. He sent the sweet presence of his Holy Spirit in a wonderful and a magnificent way to comfort them and to be with them as he is with us today. And the Lord's even said, uh, he will continue to be with us. John chapter 14, he would say, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And what a blessing that is. 
He says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. We're going to see the Apostle Paul had never met them face to face, but he had heard about them. And he had heard not only that they were saints, not only were they born again children of God, but they were faithful brethren. They were walking in the truth of the word of God and in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a blessing to be in fellowship with the saints of God and with faithful brethren. One of the articles of faith we have as old Baptists is we believe that the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament are the revealed word of God and our only rule of faith and practice. Those that walk in that path of faithfulness to the word of God and to the truth of God's word are faithful brethren. And what a blessing it is. And the apostle Paul had heard of the faithfulness of these saints of God and faithful brethren in Christ, which were at Colossae. He said, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace and peace be unto you. He said, I want you to feel the Lord's grace. I want you to feel the Lord's peace. And how important is that? And he reminds them where that grace and peace comes from. It doesn't come from men. It doesn't come from the leaders of men. But it comes from the Lord itself, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he reminds us where it comes from. And if we know where it comes from, we know who to thank for it. You know, if I thank for somebody for something, I'm going to thank the person that gave me whatever I'm thanking them for. I'm not going to thank somebody else for what this person did for me, but I'll thank them. And when we know where grace and peace comes from, we know who to thank for. To give the Lord all the thanks and all the praise and all the honor and all the glory for the grace and peace that he's given it to us. We live in a world that's very unpeaceful. But we're blessed as we walk closely with the Lord in his house to experience a great grace. The word grace means the unmerited, undeserved love and favor of God. For us realizing we were so, so undeserving of God's love. But he's bestowed it upon us anyway. Because it was his good pleasure to do so. And he's blessed us with peace. A peace that the Bible describes as a peace that passeth all understanding. A peace that words can't describe. 
and a peace that only God can give. He said, we give thanks to God. <laughs> he's just acknowledged where peace and comes from, that it comes from the Lord, and he's given thanks now. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Here the Apostle Paul, is, as he begins to write to this church, that doesn't seem like it's been exposed to the gospel for an incredibly long period of time. He had never met them face to face, but had heard about them. But what is he focusing on? It's all on the Lord. He's focusing on God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the great blessings and the great grace and the great peace that he has given to us. What have we come to focus on today? Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the focus not on men, but on the Lord. Not on the works of men, but on the Lord. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. What a blessing. It is to know we are being prayed for. What a blessing to know that God's people pray for one another. He gives thanks to God for the blessings he had heaped upon them and upon him, but he's praying for them. What a blessing it is to know the Lord's people are praying for you and what a blessing it is to pray for our brethren and sisters in Christ. We need, we sing that song, we need the prayers of those we love. The Bible says that effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Just one prayer by one righteous man availeth much. What a blessing when we know the Lord's people are praying for us. And talking to Brother Ricky over the past numerous months with all that he's gone through, he has emphasized so many times feeling the prayers of the Lord's people. Realizing that saints of God and faithful brethren in Christ Jesus have been praying for him from numerous, numerous, numerous states, from one coastline of America to another. What a blessing that is. And it's a good thing when we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and when we let each other know we are praying for you. He said, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always. For you. He said, you're always in my prayers. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. They were walking in such a way that word got around. 
You know, our reputation can precede us. And that can be in a good way or that can be in a bad way. It depends on how we're acting. Uh, but our reputation can go before us. And he had heard of the reputation of the church at Colossae. He said, I've been praying for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Not in themselves, not in men, but in Christ Jesus. And of the love which ye have to all the saints. Notice he didn't just say love for the saints. We should have love for the saints, but we should also have love to the saints. That's a love of action. That's a love that by the words that we speak and the deeds that we do show forth the love that's in our heart for our brethren and our sisters in Christ. And they had that love. It says, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now he's already said we give thanks to God. And that's still, he's still talking about things he, give th he gives thanks to God for. And he said, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? He said, I thank God for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. The word hope literally means a confident and a joyful expectation of eternal salvation. It's a confident and joyful expectation of what awaits us in heaven and a mortal glory. He said, I thank God for the hope which is laid up. That means, that word laid up literally means reserved. In heaven. And it's for you. It's reserved. In heaven. For you. <laughs> You know, anything we have upon this earth could go away. Any physical possessions we have. We could have the most beautiful mansion and the nicest house in the whole state of Mississippi. But a tornado could take it away in a moment. You think of any material possession we may have, it can go away quickly. You know, I'm told that some of the richest men America has ever seen, a lot of them really weren't that happy. And you know what I've read from history? They were so afraid that what they had, they would lose. And so some of your Rockefellers and Carnegies and some of the biggest names of some of the most wealthy Americans have ever been, they were not real happy, joyous folks because they were always worried about all that they had 
They might lose it. And that can happen. Some of them, though, they were literally the richest in America. Wanted more and more just to be richer than the other guy that was very rich in America. Sometimes they would uh, almost have competitions. One would build one big building and the other said, I'm, I'm going to build even a bigger building and I'm going to get it just taller than yours was. But the riches the Lord's talking about here. This hope, which has laid us from us in heaven, the Bible says moth nor rust can't corrupt it. And thieves can't break in and steal. Peter would talk about this inheritance, this hope that we have that's laid up in heaven. And he would say it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it fadeth not away. And it's reserved. That same meaning. Reserved in heaven for you. I'm going to tell you this hope which was laid up for the church at Colossae in heaven and the hope that we're blessed to have today that's laid up for us in heaven can never, ever, ever be taken away. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It can never fade away. Not the devil and all of his angels could ever take away what the Lord has laid up for us in heaven by his wonderful work on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to tell you, that's something to live by. To where we don't have to wonder. Will that hope be there tomorrow? Will it be there the next day? A hope that no tornado could ever wipe out. No hurricane. No natural disaster at any time. Or, or the enemies of violence that might would come against us could never, ever take it away. He was thanking God for that. That's something we should thank God for every single day. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. He said, you heard about the good news of this hope that's laid up for you in heaven. That's what the gospel means. It's the good news. It didn't make it be so, but it gave the good news that it was so. It didn't make heaven be our home, but it gave us the good news that because of what Jesus has done, heaven will be our home. Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now he's going to mention the word truth here a couple of times in these two verses. He'll say, you knew the grace of God in truth. I'm going to tell you, truth matters. Truth matters tremendously. And the Lord has given us his truth in the Holy Scriptures. And he's given us the truth of our salvation. The world is full of deceit. The world is full of deception. The world is full of lies. But the Lord has given us the truth. 
He said, wherefore ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. Since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Again, here's an emphasis on the truth. The Lord Jesus would tell some believing Jews in John chapter 8, he would say, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's a freedom in the truth. And the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus sets us free. There's a vivid imagery of that in John chapter 11 when the Lord Jesus Christ raises Lazarus from the dead. You remember Lazarus had been dead in the grave for four days. And the Lord Jesus, they had rolled away the stone. Martha had already said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. They had rolled away the stone and all that did was to show forth the death and the stench of death that was in that grave. And the Lord Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. He'd say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. The Lord Jesus, with his life-giving voice, gave Lazarus life. And that's the only thing that can give us life is the life-giving voice of the Son of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the only one that can take a dead alien sinner and that life-giving voice of the Lord Jesus make him alive. And that's the only way it happens. Man does not have anything to do with a dead alien sinner being made alive in the Lord Jesus. The Lord does that directly. So we see a vivid picture of that Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Now Lazarus, the Bible said in John 11, he was bound head and foot with great clothes. That means he was wrapped up tightly, almost like we would think of like a mummy would be. His, his hands were bound, his feet was bound, and he was wrapped up like a, like a mummy. Even his face was covered with a napkin. Now, I've been around many prisoners in my career that have on leg shackles that between their legs there's probably about that much chain and they have great difficulty walking. They sure can't run. And they'll do what we call a prisoner shuffle because those leg shackles are keeping their feet close together. Lazarus's feet weren't this far apart. Lazarus's feet were like this. He was bound up in those grave clothes. And after the Lord Jesus Christ brought him to life and with his life-giving voice brought him that was dead back to life, he tells the men, loose him and let him go. That meant loose those grave clothes. 
those grave clothes that were dirty, those grave clothes that had the stench of death, he said, get those off of him, loose him, and let him go. And then that, in that is a picture of the good news of the truth of the gospel. You know, we can be a born-again child of God, but till we've heard the truth of the gospel, we're bound in great clothes. We're alive, but all the deceptions and deceits and the falsehoods of Satan and of this world got us all bound up. Lazarus' hands were bound. He had, a, he had a heart. He had been made alive by the Lord Jesus. I'm sure he wanted to serve the Lord, but his hands were all bound up in the grave clothes. His feet that wanted to follow after the Lord that had just given him life, they can't because they're bound up in the grave clothes. His eyes, I'm sure that wanted to see the Lord that had just given him life. He's got a napkin over his face. And he can't clearly see the Lord that had given him life. What would loose the great clothes? It was only the work of the Lord to give him life. But men would be utilized in the taking off of the great clothes. And men are utilized in the proclamation of the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now the Lord has to enable. The Lord is the one that gives the power and the strength to preach the gospel. The Lord is the one that gives the message to the minister. But man is involved. The Lord could have used Gabriel the angel or, or Michael, the archangel, to proclaim the gospel. But no, he used frail, weak, sinful men to proclaim his glorious gospel by his strength and by his power. But he chose to use men. And here the Lord says, loose Lazarus and let him go. Take those grave clothes off. Take the stench of all the lies and all the falsehoods of this world. Take it off of him. What does that? What sets us free from the errors and the lies of this world? The truth. The truth of the gospel does. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word, in my word, in my truth, in my gospel, in the words of God, if you continue in them, then are you my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. The truth is freedom. And the truth is rest. And the truth is peace. And the false notions of anything that contradicts the word of God, there's a stench. There's a stink. And there's something that binds us up and keeps us from serving our Lord as we would, as our heart wants to. But the truth of the Lord Jesus makes us free.
You know, from that time forth, Lazarus was a living testimony of the resurrecting power of King Jesus. Because wherever Lazarus went, folks would look at him and say, he's the one that, that Jesus gave life to. For that reason, the religious leaders of the Jews said, we've got to kill this guy. Because everywhere he goes, it's a reminder of the life-giving power of the Lord Jesus. You know that everywhere we go is born-again children of God. As those that had been in a death and trespasses and sins that were brought into a life in the Lord Jesus Christ, that everywhere we go, we're a testimony to the life-giving power of King Jesus. And as we show forth what the Lord's put within us, it's a sweet testimony to others of what the Lord's done for us. He said, which is come unto you, this gospel as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. You know, a lot of times that as we would plant something that would, a seed that would later become fruit, it, it takes a little time. And it can take a little time for our spiritual fruit to grow and to mature. But I'm going to tell you, he, he says here that as soon as you heard the gospel, the Lord had already borns you again. He had given you a heart to understand spiritual things. See, a dead alien sinner can't understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he discern them. Neither can he understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A dead alien sinner doesn't have the understanding, the 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 ability to understand spiritual things or the things of the gospel. But as born-again children of God, we do. And what a blessing it is. So they had been given life by the Lord. They had heard the gospel. They had embraced it, this good news of the Lord Jesus. And he said, you started bringing forth fruit that day. What a blessing you know, we recently have been without rain for so long and still need some more rain. But I'll tell you, you can be outside when it's been a while since it's rained and you see that gentle rain come. And you can see things just almost instantly change. Grass that was brown and looked like it was dead begins to quickly become green. You can just see the Lord's creation just, just livening up, livening up. I'm going to tell you the gospel is like a gentle rain for a little child of God. Hearing the truth of the Lord Jesus is like a, a gentle rain. And it quickly brought forth fruit in the church at Colossae. He said, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. They had embraced the truth. And they were walking in the truth 
of the Lord Jesus. You know, it pays to know what the truth looks like. You know, secret service and agents that are responsible to investigate crimes of counterfeit money and some here in our congregation that have had a lot of experience in banks at looking and trying to figure out, is this real money or is it counterfeit? Well, let me ask you a question. No secret service agent I know of and no bank person I'm aware of was trained in every single fake bill that's ever been produced in the history of the world was extensively trained in what every fake bill looked like. That's not the way they train them. You know the way they train secret service agents? They show them what the real money looks like. What the true money looks like. And they show all the characteristics and details of real, true money. So that when you see anything different, you know this ain't real. Some of my greatest points of thanksgiving as a father has been when my children would hear something, some scripture expounded. Maybe it was on the radio. Maybe it was passing on a television program. And somebody would say something about a scripture that wasn't in line with this. Thus saith the Lord. And it would touch my heart when they pull on my shirt tail and say, Daddy, that's not right, is it? I'd say, no son or no daughter, that wasn't right. They'd been exposed enough to the real truth to spot a counterfeit. As we hear preaching of the gospel, as we ask for the Lord to open our eyes that we might learn more and more of his truth and as we spend time in the word of God to know inextricably what the truth looks like, may the Lord help us to see when there's a counterfeit. The church at Galatia had that trouble. And Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you uh, into Christ by another gospel. He said, which is not another. For there would be some that would pervert the gospel of Christ. He basically tells them, you first believe that the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross was all that was needed for heaven and a mortal glory. But you're now saying you must add to that the works of men for heaven to be your home. He said, that's not another gospel. He said, for though I, an angel of God, preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, the true gospel, let him be encouraged. He said, he knew the grace of God in truth as he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Epaphras was their pastor. You know what the name Epaphras literally means? It means lovely. Their pastors, 
name literally meant lovely, Epaphras. That's kind of a pleasant sounding name anyway, isn't it? Epaphras. Our dear fellow servant. Him and the Apostle Paul were preaching the same gospel, the same true gospel. He says, he's my dear fellow servant. I want to tell you what a blessing it is to, for, for me as a minister of the gospel to have dear fellow servants in the ministry. I'm going to tell you the ministers of God have been a blessing to me. Ministers of God have have helped uplift me and have helped answer my questions and we pondered scriptures together to try to get the truth of what certain scriptures mean. They've been a great blessing to me. And I thank God for my fellow ministers that walk in the truth of the Lord Jesus. He said, as ye learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for ye a faithful minister of Christ. He said, this minister is for you. You know, the Lord's in the business of letting ministers know what churches they need to serve and let the churches know what minister the Lord would have for them. You can have an outstanding God-honoring church and an outstanding, God-honoring minister. But they might not be the ones for each other. I remember as I was dating and going through courtship, and I look at young brothers and sisters in the church who were dating and going through courtship or dating, and you can have a godly young man that's a wonderful young man you may have a godly young lady that's a wonderful servant of Christ, but they may not be for each other. And the Lord leads and guides, I think, men to the right young woman and women to the right young men and ministers to the right church for them at that time and churches to the ministers. We see a glimpse of this truth here when Paul says, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for ye a faithful minister of Christ. It's like the Lord said, I called him into the ministry. It was by my will, and it was my will to send him to you. He is for you a faithful minister. I've been asked a few times, ministers will feel called to leave where they are to, to maybe go to another state to feel called to a church in another state or to an area in another state and I'll frequently get questions sometimes when that happens Brother Mark do you think that was of the Lord and my response is always the same <laughs> I said I've got enough trouble figuring out what the Lord wants me to do without trying to figure out what the Lord wants that other minister to do we're not talking about clear scriptural teaching here. The Lord's laid that out. But he doesn't give a minister. I never saw a Bible verse that says, Mark Quarles, go pastor Providence Primitive Baptist Church. He gives us principles that help guide that, but he had to lead me and guide me 
in that and he leads and guides the gospel ministry. And he said, he who declared also declared unto us your love in the spirit. Epaphras, how did Paul know about them? It appears that Epaphras told him. This man whose name means lovely, he had told him about the dear saints of God and faithful brethren there at Colossae. How they were clinging to the truth and, and walking in the truth and letting that truth affect their lives. We'll read just a few verses and don't have time to comment much. But he declared unto them, unto Paul and Timothy, their love in the spirit. Now I'm going to tell you, if we're going to really love, it's got to be in the spirit. You know how we love one another through the heart that the Lord's given us? The hard and stony heart a dead alien sinner's got that we used to have, it can't really love. There's going to be true love. It's in the Spirit. It's in that heart that the Holy Spirit of God, the life-giving voice of the Lord Jesus, has put within us. It has to be in the Spirit. We can't love without the Lord. He's put it within us. And He deserves all the honor and He deserves all the glory. He said, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, that you had heard the gospel, the true gospel, and you had received it, and you were walking in it. He said, since the day we heard that, we do not cease to pray for you. Brother Mark, didn't he just tell him he was praying for him? He told him again. <laughs> you know what we need to do to each other? When we're praying for one another, we need to let, them, let our brethren and sisters know. And then after a little while, you know what? We need to let them know again we're praying for you. And a desire that she might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. One of the things, and the Apostle Paul is going to go through numerous things that he is praying for them for that, that we don't have time to get in. We'll end with this verse. But he said, for this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire. Desire of who? Of the Lord who can grant the prayer. The reason prayer is so powerful is because of who it's to. The reason prayer is so powerful because we're blessed by God become before the throne of grace, before the, come the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, to come boldly before his throne of grace, which is in heaven. <laughs> so we're able to beseech the Lord and to request the Lord, and our requests go all the way up to the very throne room of heaven. Now think about that. 
we got some satellite phones for work and in case we have a natural disaster that takes a lot of phone lines down and our deputy chief was trying to test the thing out and he's trying to call my cell phone it won't work he tries to call his cell phone it won't work and i'm like you know, those things are not cheap, and you spend all this money to try to be able to communicate. Man's technology just doesn't cut it. But I'll tell you, when we pray, upon our knees, as a little child of God, our Lord in heaven, in his love, can hear our request, and hear our desires, and hears the apostle. Paul praying for this church at Colossae that he had never met them face to face, but he loves them. He said, Lord, I want them to be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He didn't want them to just have a little knowledge. He wanted them to be filled with knowledge. We think about what David wrote in Psalms 23, our cup runneth over. The apostle Paul was praying that their cup would overflow with knowledge. You see, they've heard the true gospel, which was not at all the good news of what Christ did in securing heaven for them and for us had nothing to do with all works. But I'm going to tell you, because of what he's done for us, our response to that grace ought to be serving the Lord every single day. Knowing, being filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, when you think about things <coughs> we need to know, that's on the top of the list. We see student workers coming into our office, and I like to see them because they're so eager to learn. They want to learn as much as they can about probation and the court system. They're so eager to learn, and we ought to be eager to learn about the things of God. You remember the first thing Saul of Tarsus said when the Lord struck him down? He was a man that, beginning in that chapter, was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. But the Lord struck him down, and the Lord borned him again in that moment and took him from a state of death and trespasses and sins and made him alive in the Lord Jesus and called him to preach the gospel right there. This man that had made others tremble, that had made the saints of God and followers of Christ tremble at the sight of Saul of Tarsus. Now he's trembling. He's astonished. And you know the first words out of his mouth, Lord, what would thou have me to do? He's saying, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Lord, I want to know what you want me to do. And that should be at least a daily prayer for all of us, if not more than once a day. 
Because our response to the good news of all that the Lord has done for us ought to be, Lord, we want to know what you want us to do. And we want to be faithful in it because we want to please you in every way who has done so much for us. May God bless me to pray that prayer. Numerous times a day, I believe the Lord will answer it. And he'll show us individually. Mark, do this. Mark, call this sister. Check on this brother. That person that's over there in a corner and looks despondent and afraid, go talk to him. Lift him up. Encourage him. This minister, this brother that's been downtrodden with the affairs of life, that life has been tough, give him an encouraging word. Show him you love him. That can happen in a lot of different ways and the Lord can lead our hearts and burden our hearts in the right way of what we need to do. And I'm going to try to do more of praying that prayer. May God bless you as my prayer.